0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this moon cycle edition of the stick to sports podcast. I have not been um, posting regularly because I have a puppy who demands a lot of attention. But I also am working on a book and I finished a couple days ago my the, the draft of my section and Evan and I are going to be putting it together really soon. I'm very excited for that. But it obviously, it's taken quite a lot of my time. So podcast episodes have not been regular, which I do apologize for, but it has just been very, I've been very swamped. So a lot of stuff happened, a lot of stuff. Stuff is a terrible word, but I'm just going to use that right now. Uh, My brain is very fried, and there's so much that has happened, and is happening in the world, and then for some reason hockey, despite being so small, has like so many problems, and... Uh, The whole Mitchell Miller situation in that he him being drafted, then story was reported about him bullying um, a disabled black peer and really vicious stuff. Um, Like it was vicious and like very malicious. And then basically Arizona. So Mitchell was committed to North Dakota. Both Arizona and North Dakota kind of reaffirmed their commitment to him after a lot of public outcry. They both backtracked. So. Anyway, uh, before that all had happened, um, Tony D'Angelo had posted something where he called COVID the China virus. And that's a topic I wanted to explore more about, not because Tony, Tony D'Angelo is... That's a whole other can of worms, but we don't really, at least on this podcast, I don't talk so much about xenophobia as much as just general racism. And I think right now there's also um, East Asian racism and it's a balance because um, as well, my guest for the podcast is Leah Fraser, who she is a coach. She coaches her son's team. Um, she is a player. She's been hockey fan since she was a little kid. And she has a podcast. She co-hosts a podcast and she's like very involved in hockey Twitter. And, um, you know, I had asked her if she wanted to talk about this because it's not something that really gets thought up of and you know it's important that we keep in mind everything that's going on and as we she kind of touched on um it's a balance of like you know fighting that kind of racism but also there are other things that are really 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 pressing like obviously Black Lives Matter is really pressing and kind of making sure that you balance and I might not be saying this correctly so if I'm not please forgive me I don't sleep anymore like it's I'm very my brain is very fried. I'm working on a book. We'll do that too. So uh, Leah and I had a great conversation. We talked about Tony D'Angelo. We talked about the racism that she's experienced and like what that xenophobia xenophobia feels like, not only within the hockey community, but really in the world at large, um, which is something I relate to because you get a lot of, you know, go back to wherever I think you're from comments, um, which I have a wonderful email chain with. a a wonderful, wonderful person who's been cursing at me incessantly about this, but um, (laughs) I digress. We had a wonderful conversation about that. I don't know if wonderful is the right word to use. We did talk about Mitchell Miller, given whatever her and I can really say, given that neither of us are black. And um, I think that I kind of just want to note that we have our thoughts and um, I've been pretty clear that I feel it's i feel that it's not my position to say whether or not he gets a second chance and i feel that he shouldn't but also that if he does it's not my place to say that so just with a, keep that in mind with a grain of salt that whatever we say is we're not from the community that was um that Isaiah the boy he targeted was from or is from so keep that in mind because i saw i just i want to stress that anyway I digress. So without further ado, here is my interview with Leah. How did you get into hockey?
1: Um, I got into hockey. It's kind of funny. Um, it was when I was maybe 10 or 11, I saw the Mighty Ducks movie. And then a few years later, I, um, I saw the women play at the Olympics in 1998. So um, I just fell in love with the sport. And I always really loved ice skating. And I was not really graceful or, or, you know, a good enough ice skater to become like a figure skater. So um, I, I just fell in love with hockey and um, that's been the end of it. And I've been a fan for my whole life pretty much.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I saw your tweet actually about the, um, why you became a hockey fan in the Mighty Ducks picture.
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny because no one in my family is into hockey, and I'm not in an area where anyone was really into hockey. So everyone thought it was weird, and I couldn't even find games on TV to watch because we didn't have cable TV, and that was the only way you could watch them. Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah, um, I was kind of the same way. Like my parents are not; they're football fans because they lived in Cleveland. Um, so we were not like we, we were not raised hockey fans. Even though the town that I lived in, um, in Massachusetts, like, a lot of hockey players were in that area. Like, my dad's barber used to cut, like, the players, the hair for the players on the team, but, like, my parents still were not hockey fans. (laughs) Um, And then I one day became, like, randomly started watching. But, like, in New Jersey, it's, I mean, there are fans, but I think it's more popular now. Like, back then, it really was, like, nobody in New Jersey watches hockey. So, I feel you. Um, okay, so I'm gonna segue into Tony D'Angelo. And just whatever you would like to say, because I I know that I saw you tweeting about, um, and a big thing right now really is, it's hard to keep track, not hard to keep track of, but there's so many different bad things happening right now, especially within hockey, which is alarming for a sport that's so small. But, um, and I think this is actually one of the things that's kind of gotten lost because Miller, the whole Miller thing has been just, I don't even know how to describe that, but so he had tweeted, basically he called, um, COVID. I don't even know. He didn't tweet it. He put it on his Instagram story and basically he was calling COVID the, um, China virus or he said Joe Biden didn't call it that I can't quite remember but I know that it was xenophobic and I remember that you pointed it out um yeah I guess so just we don't really talk about xenophobia as much in hockey as we do about um I think it gets pushed into the racism thing but it's also sort of a separate category that we don't really think about um so whatever your thoughts are on, I mean, Tony D'Angelo sounds like a peach, but
1: right, um, he has he has many problems. Um, I think that one of the reasons it's hard is because, and I think you've talked about this on your show before, is that people try to watch hockey because it's something fun, but when there are players who are constantly skewing garbage, it makes it uncomfortable to watch because. You can't see that person without also thinking about the fact that they probably would prefer it if you weren't in the country or that you're somehow, you know, your presence is somehow negative. And so it's hard, I think, as a hockey fan to to observe things like that um, for exactly what he said um, about the, the coronavirus, This has been something that's been bothering me for a really long time, and I think that something that really gets lost in all of this is that it's not so much that Donald Trump talks about that the virus originated in China and that people repeat that. It's that people don't have an awareness of the context of why that's uniquely harmful to the Asian community. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for instance, I think I had put out on Twitter the other day that my Um, My relative, my sister-in-law was in New York and she was accosted on the street and called um, a dirty disease carrier. And then someone tried to shove her away because they thought she got too close to them. And this was right around, you know, right after the pandemic started. And I think tensions were high, Um, especially then because people were concerned about what was going to happen and all the closures and everything like that. But um, there's just a lot of historical context behind this. Um, for one, East Asians, um, particularly Chinese Americans, have been um, have been, you know, there's a whole thing with you know yellow, yellow fever. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this whole history behind Asian people being viewed as kind of dirty and unclean mm-hmm. and, and like vermin who spread diseases. And so for some people can hear Donald Trump's remarks and think, "Oh, he's just talking about how it came from China. But then other people, other people see it for what it is, and it just reignites all of those old stereotypes that people have about
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, Asian people. Like, oh, you eat cats, or you eat dogs, or I can't go to that Chinese restaurant because it's dirty because you don't clean the kitchen well enough. Yeah. You know, so it plays on all of that, and it's a lot easier. It's it's a lot easier for us to be scapegoated in that way. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think I I know Trump called India dirty. And I'm pretty sure he also called China dirty um, in his last debate, which I was not watching, but was on while I was playing with s'mores. Um, So he's like, actually flat out said that. And yeah, you bring up um, a lot of really good points. And I I think as a whole, we don't think about the history of this country discriminating against um, Asians and East Asians and Um, Like, for me, I grew up in a predominantly Asian um, area, so we kind of, we had a lot of discrimination still, obviously. Um, There was a lot of racism and a lot of xenophobia, a lot of internalized xenophobia, but it's kind of, like, just people don't really think about it. And, I mean, with Tony D'Angelo, like, I don't even, I don't even know where it falls on his scale of, like, racism. Like, I don't...
1: Yeah, it's a multi layered thing because on one hand, I think part of what Donald Trump and Tony D'Angelo, by extension, are doing is they want to have a scapegoat for why things are the way they are in this country, mm-hmm. and they don't want to take responsibility,
0: yeah.
1: you know, for for what's happening. So I think part of it is scapegoating. Mm-hmm. I think that's one part, and that is I think that's particularly dangerous because that results in people being mad at Asian people. Like that's why my sister-in-law right. got accosted on the street, yeah. you know, because people want to look for someone to blame for why, for why they can't go out to their favorite restaurant or can't, you know, have their normal life. So that's definitely one part of it. And then I think the other part is, is just playing upon old tropes about Asian people and diseases and, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. you know, it's
1: being weird foreigners. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the violence thing, I think, is really key. I think a lot of people just kind of miss the connection between words and violence. Like, I know, I remember hearing, like, back when Trump was elected, and probably people still say it now that, like, oh, he's not inciting violence, but he is. His words are inciting violence. And I think if you're white, um, you don't ha- ever have to deal with that. But if you're not, you know, when he says things like that, you know, when he makes those connections, like you mentioned, that's how people react. Um, because people don't, I mean, well, his followers are racist anyway, but people don't want to understand that, like, (sighs) yeah, they just, they like, they don't get that. They don't understand how dangerous words can be and why something like that is so important.
1: For sure. And I think also a lot of people are not necessarily denying that racism exists, but I think there's a camp of people who want to feel better about their political choices and say that the racism came from somewhere else and Donald Trump's not at fault for it. You know, he's, he's, he's not stoking it. It was, it was always there. There were always problems. And I think they, they don't want to admit that the things he says and that his supporters are uniquely racist. Like I've, I've been told to go back to China, um, by people wearing Trump hats and like, you know, Maga gear, because they come, I'm in the D.C. area, and so they're they're there all the time trying to visit the White House.
0: Yeah.
1: And, I mean, it happens, it happens a lot. Yeah. And I think people don't r- realize that.
0: Yeah, and it's just all levels of, I mean, I don't know how to explain to someone who doesn't understand what it's like when someone's like, go back to whatever country they assume you came from. Um, but it's just like, I don't know, how would you describe what that feels like?
1: Um, I feel like it's just. I mean, for one, it's it's ignorant. <laughs> I mean, like I am not. I'm I'm Asian, but I mean, culturally, like I've grown up here my whole life, yeah. and you know, it's kind of it's kind of jarring. Like I'm speaking to you and unaccented American English and you're going to tell me to go back to China. I mean, and not that anyone should be told to go back there just because they have an accent, but I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that, um, you know, I've been here for a while. So that's, that's one thing. I mean, the other, the other part of it is, um, like I've, I do a lot of work in my community and I'm engaged on a lot of things that are happening around me and, it, it's just insulting yeah. for someone to assume that I'm not, I don't belong here when I dedicate a lot of time to what's happening around me and I have for quite some time. So that's part of it. And I, I also think that the, like, I, I think a lot about this from the perspective of everything that's been happening with the black community and for me it's kind of been a balance because things are bad for asian people during the pandemic for sure i mean things have been worse but i like i try to strike a balance as to how much attention i devote to it because there are so many more like pressing immediately violent racial issues that are happening all around so part of it for me is just trying to figure out what the right balance is and like where where the biggest
0: fire is mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah yeah, and like kind of balancing defending your community from racism but also making sure that there's not racism within your community, which is something I have to deal with a lot. It's funny cuz my dad and I were just talking about this with South Asian men and I was like, "Yes, they're all very terrible."
1: I have relatives who are, you know, on the Trump train. <laughs> so, I mean, um I my I have one rel- relative and she was telling, she was talking to her parents and um I I think I, I don't know what their reasons are for supporting him, but she um like her, her big victory was convincing them to just stay home and not vote.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, it, so yeah, we have to work hard, like really hard because there's a lot of, um there's a lot of racism, especially anti-black race, racism in the Asian community. So we yeah. have to work hard to address that. But um
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I
1: mean, I think, I think also part of everything that's been happening with the pandemic is kind of a wake up call for our communities because uh, people view us as more assimilating to American culture and that they view us as less threatening. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of, a lot of folks in the Asian community have gotten complacent about that yeah. Um, and they feel, they feel safe. And this is a reminder that, that they're not, and that you're only, you're only welcome as long as you're playing along, you're not disrupting things and, uh, there's no
0: need for a scapegoat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, South Asians are absolutely the same way. It's like horrifying how many of them support Trump. And it's like, e- even after he called India dirty, they're still like, yeah, we're going to vote for Trump. I'm like, you're idiots. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, but someone emailed me like telling me to go back to my shithole country. And I was like, OK, so you're calling the U.S. a shithole. I mean, <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs>
1: yeah i always like go back to china i'm like i'm not even i'm not even from
0: china like i know it's like people oh but the best part is like when they misidentify your ethnicity so they tell you to go back to a country that you're not like your parents or your grandparents aren't even from it's like go back to pakistan it's like my parents aren't even from there
1: yeah, I'm like I've always wanted to visit China. So if you're gonna if, if you're gonna pay for my ticket, so I can go visit and see suicides, yeah, yeah, I'll go back. But I'm gonna come back to to
0: America. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, it's kind of not funny, but also funny because they are really stupid. Yeah. So going back to sort of Tony D'Angelo, like this has been patterned behavior from him, and the Rangers have not done anything except for really promote his podcast once, which I think they then deleted the retweet, but, like, tried to pretend like it never happened, even though everybody saw that it happened. And, I mean, like, at some point, I mean, I I honestly don't think the Rangers are going to do anything about it, but what would you, what do you think that they need to do to address this? Because, I mean, they do have Keandre Miller coming in as well, and, you know, Tony D'Angelo has a history, like, His podcast literally says, like, what? The shirt says white?
1: It does. It's (laughs) W-Y-T. Yeah. I was like, I wonder if that's a coincidence. Probably not. I don't Um, know. I don't know if he's smart enough to (laughs) I know. It's hard. It's really hard to know. I mean, and it's also hard to know whether his remarks are motivated by anti-Asian animus or whether he's, just, like, trying to be, like, rah-rah, Trump, I want him to have an excuse for sucking so bad, like, I don't know what the reason is behind it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but in terms of, in terms of what they should do, um, I think that it's, I mean, it's really difficult at this point to do something publicly in response to what happened with Andre Miller because they waited so long, and it's, like, you know, what are they going to do, like, bring up their failure from, like, months and months ago? Um, but i think I think that one thing that they could do is to support Black Girl Hockey Club and to do positive things showing that they're trying to welcome all different types of fans. I also think internally they need to uh, like educate Tony D'Angelo and pull him aside and talk about it. And also, this is I got sidetracked by everything that happened with Mitchell Miller. But yeah. one thing that I'm planning on doing is um, I, I'm going to draft a letter explaining, why his remarks about the China virus are harmful, because I'm not even sure that people in their front office know why it's a harmful thing. It's uniquely harmful to, um, to the Asian community to say Mm -hmm. things like that. So, I mean, who knows whether or not they'll read it, but my goal is to write a letter and, um, and send it and get organizations to sign onto it. And I have, um, I am a lawyer and I, I used to be president of the, um, asian bar chapter in dc so i have a i have like a lot of um folks that i could call upon in in the new york area and a lot of people that i could try and get to sign on to it so i'm going to try and use my connections that way and generate some some pressure Mm. about it
0: there are a couple of um good things you mentioned that i want to revisit but Pressingly, I think um, my the main thing I want to ask you is like, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to organize? Because I know that we have this conversation about um, Mitchell Miller. And I, I know that there's always there are always things that are going on and people are always publicly commenting on it, which can work. Um, I don't know with the coyotes, whether it was because everyone was tagging them, maybe not, probably not, or because people were calling them. But I think a lot of people who want to do good just don't know where to start in terms of doing something like you're doing right now, you know, drafting a letter, what would that letter say? You know, how do we convince our favorite team who's like unattainable because they're like all the way here separated from us by twenty layers? You know, how do we call them and convince them not to sign this player who did racist things?
1: I think part of it is knowing knowing your community and knowing the community that surrounds the, the team. So um you know, it's, like, a lot of people, a lot of people get into activism and trying to do things because something happens that enrages them and makes them really mad, but it's kind of, it's kind of hard to go from that to being effective, and so, like, one thing that I've seen in terms of my work is that um, there are, like, people of color, um, you know, BIPOC folks have been doing this work for a really long time, like, People are, you know, there. There are any number of organizations that have been around um, in my community um, that focus on these issues. And so, it, the, the the best thing to do if you want to really make a splash is, I think, to to figure out who those organizations are, so you're not reinventing the wheel and kind of, you know, coming late the party and you know figuring out figuring out how you can work with those organizations because a lot of times they have um, they, they'll have more influence on um maybe a team you know or or something of that nature than a bunch of angry people on twitter who decide to write a letter or something like that so um i think i think a lot of it is getting getting um established organizations um to to care and to be involved and um and and get their advice on how how they would address a situation because there are so many people who have a lot of experience mm-hmm. um, addressing all of this but it's like right now everything is so awful in so many ways that I feel like we're kind of drinking from a fire hose and it's a matter of it's a matter of just like triage and getting you know getting um, attention on an issue
0: yeah so uh, going back to Mitchell Miller I mean there's really a lot to unpack there so I guess I'm just going to ask you like whatever you want to say about the topic go for it because there are like 80 different levels of wrong with what happened in this whole situation, including the backtracking and renouncing the pick and North Dakota saying that he's not going to be on the team anymore.
1: Yeah, from a personal perspective, this hit really close to home. I mean, and I'm not analogizing my situation to what happened um, to Isaiah, but, um, you know, just during my son's soccer game over the weekend um a racist remark was made to him and I I was just kind of struggling to figure out like what to do in the, in that moment mm-hmm. and um and I think and, and it kind of brought a lot to the surface in terms of all the anti-Asian stuff because then you could stop and wonder like is this did this happen because of what's happening with the pandemic did it happen because it's you know, it's always been there. Did it happen because of our political climate? I don't know. So I was trying to think about that and then think about what to do and then think about how my son wanted to handle the situation. Um, and, and then it's also, it's also hard to be confident that you're doing the right thing about it. So, um, so I, I, I think I felt particularly raw about, about things like this because, um, it just, it's Mm -hmm. just something that we have to deal with. So from that framework and that perspective, I was like the idea of someone like Mitchell Miller being involved in sports, like, and my, my son, he plays hockey too. And I was like, the idea of him having to deal with someone like that is just appalling to me. And, and so like, you know, that, and that's of course, secondary, I think to what happened to um, Isaiah. So that's obviously the most pressing thing that people should be dealing with, but just the idea that he could be around people and he could make other other players feel uncomfortable, he could make his coaches feel uncomfortable. And there, then there' are all there's all the issues with hazing and bullying. and I kind of feel like what he did was indicative of someone who would who would participate in that and encourage that type of behavior. And then, you know as a coach, I was thinking, this kid like later on i mean he could be coaching he could be coaching kids like he could be Mm. um he could be having authority over children um and so all of that just was so troubling um to me and and then not and, and then also you have to think about it from the perspective of all the fans of color who are already not feeling the most comfortable having to think about the fact that they might turn on their TV and see him skating around like during, during a game or something, or, um, or just the message that it sends that you can, you can pretty much not even apologize. You can be convicted of a, of a hate crime, not apologize and still be accepted in hockey. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: it just sends such a horrible message. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it really like that, that was why I was so like, I think all of that culminating, like as a, from my perspective, as like a parent, Um, a coach, um, you know, a person of color, someone who has to worry about her kids. Yeah, it was just it was just like a lot, Mm
0: -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I think going back to the fact that turning on the TV and seeing that someone who did this can be accepted, I've found so many stories of people of players who've, you know, either been involved in violence or have been racist or anything like that that have come back and played. Um, there's no precedent to not allow someone like this in the league, to not allow someone like this to play hockey at a professional level. Right. Um, which I I knew, but now I really know um, from researching the book, like there was a player who went to jail for sexual assault and is playing pro hockey. Um, so, you know, it's like there that needs to stop. That cycle needs to stop at some point. And um, I think that, and, and you kind of, touched on this a little bit when you talked about educating tony d'angelo like there is that balance because then a lot of people throw out um oh well what does he not deserve a second chance and i think people are really missing the fact that um you're not supposed to be centering the abuser over the victim and this is a privilege not a right and it's not like a system you go into to reform yourself if anything the system makes you worse like it's not it's not equipped at all to be some kind of, you know, anti-racism, anti-bullying or anti-ableism, um, platform or factory or whatever, because it's so, it just, it's not like that. And how do we kind of like, and I, I know for you and I not being black, it's sort of not our place to sort of say, but, um, just in general, like, thinking about it, you know, thinking about Tony D'Angelo, like, how do we just, like, you obviously don't want to leave this person back into society still being a bad person. So how do we kind of toe the line between we need to hold them accountable, but also we can't just, like, you know, leave them to their own devices sort of thing?
1: Yeah, I think it's really hard because especially with um, – But I think that one of the biggest barriers is that for Tony D'Angelo, for instance, his response would probably be, you know, I don't have to be politically, I don't have to politically conform to you just to be able to have a place in the league. There's nothing wrong with me having different political views. And I think that we kind of need to try and divorce the whole idea of racism from politics. Like they're not the same thing. People shouldn't talk about them like they are, because I think that really gives people a lot of cover to, um, to just say, Hey, you know, you're a Republican, I'm a Democrat, but we can still be, you know, no,
0: no, we can't (laughs) be friends. (laughs)
1: It's (laughs) a lot deeper than that. Like, it's like, it's, um, you know, it's, it's much deeper than that and that, than that. And there, you know, and the lines can blur a lot, but I think that's the biggest, um, the biggest obstacle. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I was like thinking like, what, what would you do with someone like Like um, Mitchell Miller, like what would you, like how how should that even be addressed? But I think I think that him being like held accountable in this way might like maybe maybe it's good because it will make him think that he he at least has to pretend that he's doing something um, to better himself, and then maybe through that something genuine could happen. Like maybe you know what I'm saying? Like, maybe he, maybe it will require him to interact with someone like if, you know, and I was, um, I had tweeted earlier today about, um, how there was a a man who hung a noose at our local middle school and our NAACP chapter, um, urged the court to not send him to jail and to, um, and to engage in a restorative justice program. So he met with, um, it was, it's a middle school right by my house. And so he, um, I had been following it closely, so he met with people from the NAACP, he had, you know, he he had, and I don't know the exact specifics of it, but I feel like something like that could be helpful, but the issue is whether or not he would be even receptive to doing something like that, because now there's not a way, there's, like, I don't know what the mechanism to make him do that would be.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So I... It's, it's a really tough question. I'm actually still working on this for the book when it comes to like domestic violence, because, and sexual assault, because I think about that question a lot. Like, you know, is there a chance that violence will escalate if someone gets cut, if they're not convicted, but we also, it's very, it's so complicated. And there is a lot that goes into it. Um, but I think that people, I mean, well, I'm, I know because um john van beesbrook is working at a high level position at usa hockey that people (sighs) just i mean anything usa hockey does from here on out is like i'm sorry just no i mean the like they're so concerned and i know like i know why it happens like you know people see themselves reflected in people like john van beesbrook or mitchell miller Although it's wild to me that anyone with, like, people were saying, oh, think about all the stupid things you did when you were 14. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, are we from different planets? Like, how how is this even, like, your line of thought here? But people have those, like, different definitions where they, obviously, they center whiteness. They don't think about people who aren't white, you know, who are, you know, not cishet, hat who are not um, able-bodied. They don't think about any of that. They think about themselves, and they see that person. They see themselves reflected in them. They think that that genuinely is a mistake, being racist. And then they obviously want to give them a second chance. Like, I don't know. That's just... Well, the the thing that
1: confounds me about that whole situation is that when I... Like, okay, I'm a parent, so I'm imagining my kid. And when, when you look at the two kids involved in the situation, like, I definitely the the kid that I saw my kid in was was um the victim. Yeah. You know, and I was worried about my son about something like that happening to my son and I just really wonder whether these people who say that kids do stupid things blah blah who have kids like how would they feel like how would a white person feel if Mitchell Miller did the exact same thing to their kid never apologized and then like the next thing you know he's like drafted by the NHL they would be so pissed about it they yeah. would be so mad and I just the the lack of like it's just, I think it's telling about people when they, see, when they see Mitchell Miller and their kids and not not Isaiah
0: you know yeah <laughs> it is very just, telling I'm like you are really telling on yourself <laughs> it's funny how often people do that yeah um yeah I but I mean like things like okay people will say like if you use a slur oh it was a mistake but I, I truly don't see how anyone anyone could possibly think that giving someone candy dipped in urine like in what planet is that a mistake?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was, that was so premeditated. It's like they had to get the candy, they had to go in there. It, like, if you think about all the steps that it took to, to do that,
0: it's malicious.
1: Yeah, there's no it's not it's not something dumb that you did when you were you were younger. I mean, the the other thing that really like with USA hockey, the other thing that really gets me with all of this is that um I I had to do safe sport training and we had sections on bullying and I'm like I don't I don't really understand how he was even allowed to be on USA hockey teams like given that they knew his history and what he had done. Mm. Like he was on he was on national teams and I'm I'm like how like you're telling you're telling coaches like you, they certify all of all the coaches and I'm, and they're telling us that we have to be vigilant for this type of behavior. All the while, someone can engage in exactly that type of behavior, even worse, and then not suffer consequences. It's like such a huge disconnect. Like I, I yep. just, I really don't get it. Like even if you take racism out of it, like I just, I really just don't get it. Like why would you want someone like that around your team? Like that, that's just
0: yeah weird. I think. I mean, I, I don't know because I, I haven't actually requested copies of the Safe Sport Training, but that's on my to do list for the book. Um, but I, you know, like reading through the policies that they have for bullying or whatever, hazing, harassment, it's all like in team. And they don't seem to really care about the effects that. People have on other teams, like you know, even when we talk about the hazing thing, like there there's a really big sexual assault component to it, but we don't think about the victims outside of the team, and it seems to be something that's not really addressed. But going off the character point, like hockey loves loves to say that you know we only care about good characters, but I think this this ins- this whole thing was really telling of what they mean when they say good characters. And I have a whole section about this. We have like all the values that hockey claims it has that are really just twisted into something negative. Um, Like respect. You know, they probably say like, right. They say really good things about him. Like, Oh yeah, he's a great kid. He's really respectful. Well, who, you know?
1: Yeah. And maybe he's respectful to people who look like you, but that's the that's the issue is that a lot of times maybe you can't even like even even if you take the abuse incident out of out of it like he's probably going to be nicer to people who look like him who are white males which mostly everyone in hockey is so you just don't have like I mean that's that's a problem with the lack of diversity in like scouting and in hockey in general is that you really can't like someone could play their entire career and seem like an okay person and, and really not not be like they could be a a screaming horrible racist off the ice and you might not know that you know their
0: coach might
1: not know that no no one might know it
0: what i what i learned sort of the hard way is that in hockey you just you never know who thinks you're human or who thinks you're inhuman like you just never know because they nine out of ten times they're not going to show you um and it'll come out, like, you might hear it. You might overhear it. It might come out once or twice. You might see it based on someone's Instagram post or whatever. But it's, like, they're so masterful at being, like, really polite to you while also hating your guts behind your back.
1: Yeah. And I, I also think there's a really big disconnect with the whole, like, racial slur thing. So we, you know, the, the, the our rink was where um, the players against hate, the incident that sparked that that was our local rink, mm-hmm. so I think there are a lot of people who are like opposed, of course, to a black player being called the N word during a game. Like a lot of people recognize that's wrong, but then, but then, like that's kind of they're like, as long as I'm not calling you a racial slur, um, I'm not a racist. Then can, yeah, then then I'm I'm okay. I'm not calling anyone the N word, so I'm doing great. And it's so much more than that, you know. Yeah, there's so much more than just not calling people names and people don't understand that.
0: Yeah, there was that really great graphic that I will probably never find again that was on Twitter of like the iceberg of racism and it's like the very top, the tip that you see is just like the racial slurs and then it's all the other stuff that like really makes it up at the bottom that you can't see. Uh, you're 100% correct. People love to use that defense. I I have a question for you that I'm just curious about. So you're very involved in hockey. You're obviously like, you know, you pay attention to this stuff. You call it out. You hold people accountable. I don't have children. I have two nephews. And I want to say that my nephew is mixed race. And I wanted him to play hockey because hockey is very important to me. And I've been wrestling with the fact, obviously, it's really not my decision, but even so, like, peripherally, how much do I want him to be involved in that part of my life now? Because I know what this sport is like to people like him. So how did you kind of make the decision to have your son play hockey?
1: I think part of it is that Um, I, I'm a coach on his team and I, I really try hard to not be like a helicopter mom and be always like staring at him and like, you know what I mean? But I'm there. Yeah. And that makes me feel better. Um, because I think that since I'm there, people will be less likely to engage in improper behavior. Um, so that's one of the things that gives me comfort now and I, I think the really concerning stuff happens. I mean, although although I have to say like it didn't really matter that much at his game his soccer game over the weekend, so mm-hmm. you know, I don't I don't know. Um but I think part of it is that I'm there and, and it makes me feel a little bit better about that. And um I I do worry though, and it's kind of punting things down the line, but I mean if you ever wanted to play at a high competitive level, um I would have major concerns about that just given all the stories about hazing and yeah. the fact that a, there's like no adult supervision or if there is, it's by adults who really don't have their interests at her, So Or who
0: participate or who just ignore it
1: yeah exactly so um but i figure that like most most people don't end up playing hockey at competitive levels and i'm really trying to just be like hey we're doing this for fun because you enjoy it um and so so i haven't and he's he's little he's like seven so i haven't i haven't had to think about it um that much Um, but i figure i figure that until he gets like like if if he like advances a lot um like i would probably still be okay coaching his team so i could i can always kind of be there um and yeah. I, I also think that it's good for, um, I mean, I, I'm in hockey because I enjoy it, but I also think that, like, I, I hope that me being there, like, as a woman and a person of color, I hope that it makes, might make people feel a little more comfortable or, you know, less less apprehensive about, um, like, bringing their kids into the sport if they had concerns about it. So that's one of the reasons also that, um, that I'm involved.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, go thinking about competitive levels, like, hockey is a scam if you want to play competitively, so you're probably <laughs> yeah. good on that front.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so um, – I, I that's one of the things that I like about, you know, how things are going so far is that, um, like, when, I guess one of the good things that USA Hockey does is it tries to, like, tell the parents to calm down and be like – Your kid's probably not going to make it to the NHL. The one good thing. Yeah, this is the one good thing. It's like they're, but I think it's probably self-interested because they don't want to deal with, like, they want to, like, they want to control expectations, but it is, it is good, um, (laughs) to kind of like, you know, impress upon parents that it's mainly for fun and that it's like one in a million chance that your kid's going to make it big, which is, which is also one of the reasons why Mitchell Miller made me so mad because it's such a rare opportunity. And I'm like, somebody like, somebody who's going to behave like that should not should
0: not have that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. Like it's just and I, I think people miss that point. They don't realize that it's a privilege and it's not you shouldn't be able to do that if you're if you've put someone through that much harm. Especially if the victim doesn't and the fact that they never reached out to his family or him is like
1: <sighs> Yeah. I was I was really thinking about like what if you know, like, what if what if his, you know, the family didn't have a problem with him playing in the, in the NHL? Like, what do you do then? Because then there there's that interest, and then there's also the interest of, you know, the interest that other people have in showing that that shouldn't be tolerated. So I think, I think it's a really complicated question.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, kind of the way that I look at it or that I think about it is that if he's there, it shows people that it's okay to act like that. Um, which is how yeah. I feel about John Van Biesbrook being in the position that he's in. Um, but it it was kind of a similar story. Like, um, Evan and I I think are gonna include the whole story, but I talked to the reporter who broke it, the John Van Biesbrook story when it happened, um, many, many years ago. And it, basically like it was, you know, kinda similar, like no remorse at all, um after it happened. And I, I think like even now they've just been very Obviously, they never really address it. Um, and it just, it sends that message. Like, it doesn't surprise me that someone like Mitchell Miller could play for USA teams when someone like no. Van Biesbrook is at the head, you know?
1: No, it's not surprising at all.
0: <sighs> yep. I'm trying to think if anything else happened recently. No.
1: It's, it's amazing how much can happen it's, when hockey isn't even being played. <laughs> no, like, wow. it's the
0: worst. <laughs> it's yeah. truly the worst. It's like, it's like the smallest sport, yet somehow it just never stops being an issue. Oh, yeah, there was the whole Elias Peterson thing being on Barstool. Sorry, oh. I forgot about that.
1: <laughs> I know. It's kind of funny because people, people are shouting about cancel culture, and I mean – people still it's not like people who are disappointed with him like think that he should be kicked out of the nhl and that he's like you know you know what i'm saying like yeah. the, but they they just no longer look to him as someone they can cheer be for, really supportive yeah. of and cheer for and be like look he's he probably you know he's got he would have my back or something you know however people conceive of it it's just it's just kind of been funny to watch it's like no one no one is like saying that knuck should you know get I rid know. of it
0: that's really so. funny because it's not like at all like nobody ever said that and then all of a sudden it's like well i don't know people are just it's very frustrating to see that because it's not canceling anyone although i really wish we could cancel people that's not how it works <laughs> yeah um, i know exactly
1: it's like what that we had that power but sadly <laughs> sadly no um,
0: but it's just holding people accountable like it's not canceling anyone and the fact that people just use it as like a defense mechanism to prevent you from calling someone out for being, you know, behaving in a harmful way is very, very annoying and I just yeah. really hate Well that.
1: someone accused me of trying to cancel Bobby Orr today because I because I said something about his like full page Trump supporting oh ad God. and I'm like, I'm not trying you to didn't cancel say Bobby anything. Orr like I <laughs> know. <laughs> so, yeah, people are just really – it's like any time you express an opinion that is negative about someone, they feel like you're trying – it's like it's like some – it's like a weird – it's like how people say socialism all the time whenever you talk about, like, anything, anything involving, like, a social safety net. They're like, you're for socialism, and then it's, like, the end of the discussion. Yeah,
0: they don't understand or want yeah. to understand or – I mean, or, again, like, they see themselves in said person, so they're like, oh my god, you're going after that person? Well, what if I did something wrong? Like, you're gonna—I don't know, it's a whole— Yeah, it's like,
1: we're not gonna try and, like, get Bobby Orr, like, taken out of the Hall of Fame. Like, nobody—honestly, like, nobody cares that much. Yeah, like, no. I don't—I don't know. Who
0: knows? Or I saw someone, like, tweet about removing his statue, and I was like, I don't think people care enough about removing his statue because he supports a racist. Like, I mean— yeah. I don't think that's going to... Like, I also don't care if his statue stays up there or not, because it was an iconic goal. I mean, Bobby Hall is a different (laughs) story entirely. Like, I mean... But, you know, in this case, it's like, I don't think anyone really cares. Like, we we don't have the time on our hands to do the shit you think think we're trying to do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like there are far... It's like the whole world is on fire at this point. So, like, you know, sometimes even in the context of hockey... Um, like if I kind of think about that in comparison to what's happening, like in the outside world, outside of hockey, it's, it's kind of like a drop in the bucket. (laughs)
0: So, yeah, it's like, listen, this person's problematic, but I, I'm just, I mean, also everyone's problematic. So you can't like, I don't know, people just don't like, they don't like it because they see themselves reflected and they think that you're pointing the finger at them. And also just, it's very, it's very deeply rooted and it's very hard to fix.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure really what the answer is. Yeah, I don't think anyone is.
0: Yeah, the fun thing about writing this book means that I have absolutely no idea how to fix the problems within hockey. So, um, and nobody well, else I'm does the, either. So,
1: <laughs> I'm really interested. I'm really interested to read it. Um,
0: Thank you. I'm but, very excited. To, well, yeah, we're trying for it not to be depressing, but at the same time, like it's just so hard to fix all the things that are wrong. And there are certain things that you can improve. But, you know, at the end of the day, people have to care. And if they don't care about doing the right thing, or if they don't care about protecting people, or then it's, it's not going to matter. Like, you know, I think about North Dakota, and I'm like, the co- you know, their coach who sent out that statement that called um mitchell miller's bullying of isaiah an unfortunate incident that coach is on their task the nchc task force for student athlete well-being oh. which includes diversity and inclusion that coach is someone and in college hockey they love to tout that coaches are the ones who are going to take your boys and turn them into great men this is someone who thought of miller first before he thought of his victim that's going to be coaching these kids
1: yeah, I just I am just really confounded. I mean, not that it would make it any more palatable if you were like, you know, the second coming of Sidney Crosby, but I'm like, he is so far from and the fact that they're willing all these organizations are willing to kind of twist themselves into pretzels and make these really bad decisions for like some guy who's like a hundred and eleventh draft pick. Like I I really it just kind of shows the magnitude of the problem, I think.
0: Yeah, and it know? it really shows where their priorities lie and who they're concerned about and It's, I mean, it's not surprising, but it's still like, it's just, it's very, very disheartening, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, hopefully, you know, as more people start playing, and it becomes more diverse, then maybe that will improve, that will improve the situation. But then again, if, you know, all of the coaches and people in power continue to be like, you know, backwards white men, then, you know, they're, that, that's not, that's not the greatest for
0: retention. No. So. Yeah. So, um, that's really fun trying to figure out solutions to this mess. So, <laughs> I'm not going to end this on a depressing note, um, but those were all the questions that I had. I mean, okay, okay. I, I will say, though, like, it has been a relief to, like, talk to people that I didn't think cared about this stuff who do and who are putting in the work to change it or, like, who want to. So that has at least been, um, or like, not not a relief, but it's been nice to have that, you know. So I appreciate that at least. Um, it's nice to know that you're not alone in fighting the craziness and like all of the hate and yeah. Yeah,
1: and at least at least in um, in my program, I feel like there's a lot. There's I, I wouldn't say it's very racially diverse, but there are definitely there are definitely more people of color involved, you know, than than you would kind of think about hockey. So I think that's a really that, that's like something good too yeah hold on to i think
0: yeah well those are all the questions i had unless there's anything else you wanted to talk about uh no i don't think so all right s'mores is giving me the evil eye because i think i have to feed her now
1: <laughs> yeah i want a s'more now
0: <laughs> like a real s'more i just yeah, got like my <laughs> i just got my fire pit with all my s'more material in it
1: yeah those are those are my my weakness like i can eat s'mores like nobody's business they're so they,
0: good they are very delicious um, so I will let you go. Hopefully you can get your hands on some s'mores.
1: <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for joining me. I really enjoy chatting with you. You too, thanks. Yeah, of course. Bye. Bye. Thank you again, Talia, for joining me. I really appreciate it and for putting up with my totally fried brain. There was a point where I like couldn't formulate questions and like even I was talking to my friend on the phone the other day and like I couldn't formulate sentences. I am definitely very much on the struggle bus, which I'm sure pretty much everyone is. I think it's just a really stressful time, so um, don't forget to keep fighting racism, and you have to, I don't know, I'm not going to make any comments about the election, because it's just, at this point, our fate's already been sealed, and I think that's, that could be a whole episode in itself, which is funny because that's actually why I started this podcast, um, to really keep tabs on all the horrible things that are happening in politics, but because it was like, anyway, I'm not, I can't, I can't, I don't have the brain power to go into that right now. Um, but take care of yourselves. Um, don't forget to fight racism. And I think Leah brought up, not brought up, um, but she did give some really helpful, tips if anyone is looking to organize, especially within hockey. So I hope that is useful information for all of you. The book will be coming out fall 2021. Um, I do not expect to have a full life until around fall 2021. So this podcast is probably still going to be kind of choppy, but I'll do my best to get it up um, as frequently as I can, especially when things like this happen. I just... (sighs) Yeah, because Leah and I had planned this like a week in advance and then the whole thing came and it was just like as as it happens in hockey. But thank you all for tuning in and for putting up with my incessant rambling today. Um, I appreciate all the support, uh, questions, comments, concerns. Please let me know. I will do my best to get back to you again. Yes, very, just everything is, is is pretty all over the place right now. Um, and yeah, I will hopefully speak with you all soon. Um, but yeah, just take care of yourselves and I guess, you know, pray for the best.